I just have just a few things, just a, just a little, little old bitty sermon this morning, just a little old bitty thing. Y'all barely even know that you've heard anything. So I say that for y'all's encouragement, even though it's probably not true. I'm just getting your hopes up. That's all I'm doing. I testify and I, and I will continue to testify that I live in absolute amazement at God's ability and his willingness to teach me beyond what I already know and keep revealing to me truth that I've never seen before. I've been at this a long time, not much as a pastor, but teaching the Bible. And I just live in amazement at what he continues to teach me. Things that I've never seen before. And I'm just so grateful. And I've been here, as I shared last week, last Sunday was the end of nine years for me. So this, this one is the beginning of my 10th year here. And again, just so amazed at the things that he has taught. Things like to understand what it means that the church is, what the church is built upon, the rock that Jesus mentioned in Matthew, the true transforming of baptism as it was taught and as it occurred with Jesus, the true purpose of Jesus' 40 days in the wilderness, to see things in those that I'd never seen before that just so changed drastically my understanding of God and his purposes. But there has really been none any greater in these last few years than the revelation or the uncovering of his truth as it relates to repentance. I wonder how many times over the, these last 40 years that I have taught that as a, as a partial and probably damaging message without full understanding of what God was trying to get us to understand. I had for many years taught that it meant to turn. And that's simply the definition of it. I believe someone I didn't look it up for myself, and I, I simply believe that to repent meant to turn. You're doing something wrong, you recognize it, God brings that to your attention, you turn, correct it, and now you're doing something right. Well, that is not what it means. It's not even really very close to what it means. And I wanna take just a second to just step through one slide very quickly on what repentance really is. When we teach about repentance, it's not a general or a vague thing. We need to be understanding, just like it has down there in that bottom box. I need to understand something very specific about repentance. Again, it's not just this general change of life. It's got a subject to it. It's, it's got something attached to it. If we read across the top, repent means to change your mind. You can look that up in Greek and that's exactly the words that it will say. To change your mind. To change your mind about what? You can put anything in that box. I happen to choose to change my mind about me. I understand something about myself. I understand that I have been affected greatly by my own personal history. I have been affected by what I have put up here as an ancient past. These are the lives of my great grandparents and other family members who shaped my grandparents and parents. But these are people that I never met. I also know that I have been shaped by my own past. These are the grandparents, my parents, the friends and the people of influence in my life. I know that I have been shaped by my recent past. This is the stuff that's happened in the last three to five years, the relationships and the events that have occurred in the last three to five years. I also know that I am affected by my current situation, my current life, those things that are happening right now. All of that, when you see that line running through that, all of that shapes our opinions about ourselves. 
All of that stuff would shape our opinion about God if God's name was in that bottom box. All of that stuff shapes our opinions and beliefs about marriage if that happens to be in that bottom box. Anything you put down there, I promise you, has been affected by your personal history. What's the likelihood that we can understand ourselves correctly if that's the source of the information that we've gathered? What's the chance that our assessment of ourselves is correct? Zero. Our assessment of ourself has zero chance of being correct if that's the source from which it comes. Why is that? Because every one of those people have been affected by their circumstances, have been affected by their situations, every one of them, their prejudices and their biases, their events that have happened to them, things that have made them wealthier, things that have made them poor, all of those things, every one of those people have been affected in their own minds and in their own hearts, and they're passing that stuff down. But the real reason why I know that it's not true is because if I want to understand myself, I can't simply just change my mind. That's the other arrow. You see, my brother and, and my sisters and I all experienced the same life. But we, but we had different mindsets. So I could, I could simply change my mind and believe something different about it. But the reality is I'm still being affected by the same history. If I want to know the truth about me, and Jay was the one who taught us this several months or years ago now, repentance is to actually leave that source of thought, leave that source of information that, that I have been using to understand me. And to recognize that we're going to have to find a whole new route, a whole new source from which that information can come. And again, if I believe John chapter 14, when Jesus says, I'm going away, but I'm sending someone and he will lead you into all truth. If I want to know the truth about me, I have to leave that source of thought and I have to go across the page and recognize that God is the only one who can tell me the truth about me. The Holy Spirit is the revealer of that truth. To repent, again, whether I'm thinking about me or God or marriage or family or work or anything else, if it's being affected by my history, it's going to be off some. If I want to know the truth, I find a new route, a new source of thought. And God says, if you really want to do this right, if you truly want to repent, I would suggest that you let me become the source of how you see you. So that you don't believe anything about yourself that wouldn't come from me. That you don't believe anything about me that doesn't come from me. That is repentance. Changing our mind. Do you think that will change our action to cause us to turn? Absolutely. But the truth of this, and it doesn't really matter what you put in that box, whatever you consider, if it's coming out of your history, and I know a lot of us take great pride in that history, but it has no ability to, to let me see myself correctly. And I want to tell you, and I'm going to probably speak to a little bit to this tonight. We cannot know who we are. We cannot understand us. And we also can't understand who we are not if we don't let God speak. I shared this in Sunday school this morning. If you still call yourself a sinner, if you're a believer and you still call yourself a sinner, you're doing it against God's perspective because that is not what God sees. 
He doesn't see you as a sinner saved by grace, even though that is historically correct. He died so that you could be known as a saint. When God speaks to you, addresses you, considers you, he considers you a saint. And when we reduce ourselves to being a sinner, what we're doing is we're calling ourselves something that God says we are not. This is repentance. And I want to share just a couple of things about this this morning. I want to take it one step deeper than where I've ever taken it before. Do you know how impossible it is to change your course in life without changing your mind? I'll tell you this as a fact. There will never be enough people to tell you that you're pretty if your mind says you're ugly. There will never be enough people or lessons learned to tell you that you're smart if your mind tells you that you're dumb. You can line them up all day coming in and saying, you're so smart, you're so smart, you're so smart, and you will dismiss every one of them if your mind says you're stupid. There will never be enough people or enough dollars made telling you that you're rich if your mind believes that you are poor. And there will be never enough people telling you that you can if your mind tells you that you can't. There will never be anything great happen until you change your mind. There is great power in changing your mind. There is great power in a changed mind. We know this to be true. You can change your address. You can go from this house to this house. You can change your car. You can change your truck. You can change your wife or you can change your husband. You can change your job. You can change your career. You can change your name and it will not change anything of real consequence until something inside of you changes. None of that stuff will make much of a difference. We see it happen all the time. You, you can recognize that there's a lot of people changing a lot of things only to find when they've made the change, nothing of consequence really happened. Why? Because they forgot to change their mind, forgot to change how they saw themselves. When I first learned this truth, I preached this to you a few months ago or several months ago now about repentance. And I taught and I described it in the life of Paul and on his journey to Damascus to kill and, and persecute Christians. I want to read the end of that story for you. That's, it's in Acts chapter 9. Paul had met Jesus on the road to Damascus. He was blinded as Jesus spoke to him. And he goes into town and he's been there three days and he's been blind for these three days. And God speaks to this guy named Ananias and says, Ananias, I want you to go to this guy named Paul and because Ananias says immediately, God, uh, do you know him? Do you know who you're asking me to go to? Do you know his reputation? Do you know what he does to people like me? So Ananias immediately begins to question God. I, I want to make sure that I'm hearing this right. But eventually after these questions and after God's answers, Ananias does what God asks. It begins. I want to begin reading in verse 17, Acts 9, 17. And Ananias went his way and entered into the house and putting his hands on him said, Brother Saul, the Lord, even Jesus that appeared unto thee in the way as you came has sent me that you might receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Ghost. 
And immediately there fell from his eyes as it had been scales and he received sight forthwith and he arose and was baptized. And when he had received meat, he was strengthened. Then was saw certain days with the disciples, which were at Damascus and straightway he preached Christ in the synagogues that he is the son of God. There it is. There is this deep and profound reality that Paul had changed his mind from believing that what Jesus had come to do was the greatest heresy against God that he had ever known. And he was determined to destroy every aspect of Jesus and every aspect of the ministry of Jesus. He has this encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus. Ananias goes to him and says, you'll receive your sight and you're going to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately upon that acceptance, upon his willingness to change his mind, which he did not have to do, But upon his willingness to change his mind, he began to preach and teach that Jesus was the son of God. Was there a turn in it? Yes, because he changed his mind. Today, again, I want to take this one step deeper. I want to show you something. Because if you dismiss this as a small thing, unimportant maybe to you in your your life situation, I want you to consider this. I want you to listen to this. Go with me, if you would, to Hebrews 12. We'll see what happened in this great and tragic story in the Old Testament of Esau. I want to back up just a little bit. I want to begin in verse 11, Hebrews 12, verse 11. The writer says, now, no chastening for the present seems to be joyous, but grievous. He said, not many of us like to be punished or corrected. Nevertheless, afterward, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. Wherefore, lift up the hands which hang down and the feeble knees and make straight paths for your feet, lest that which is lame be turned out of the way, but let it rather be healed. Follow peace with all men and holiness with which no man shall see the Lord. Looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. Lest there be any fornicator or profane person as Esau was, who for one morsel of meat sold his birthright. We know this story. We know what his brother did. We know that he came in from the field and he was hungry and his brother tricked him. Jacob tricked him. That's what Jacob's name means, deceiver, trickster. And so in this moment, Esau gave up his birthright to Jacob for something no more than just what could be held in a bowl. But there was still the blessing of the family that was his. There was still great reward for him, even though he had sold his birthright, there was still great blessing assigned to him already given to him. He didn't have to do anything to get it. It was already given to him. And we continue verse 17. For you know how that afterward, after he had sold his birthright, when he would have inherited the blessing, he was rejected for he found no place of repentance, though he sought it carefully with tears. He found no place of repentance. What does that mean? It means he was asking someone, seeking 
the reality for someone to change their mind because his blessing hung on repentance. All of the greatness that that had been his deservingly, all that had happened, he was asking for someone to change their mind and he said, and he even sought it with tears. He was in earnest about it. But there was no repentance to be found. There was no change of mind to be found. So that because of that lack of repentance, because someone's heart was hardened, because someone refused to repent, to change their mind. And I looked this up. I looked every word of this up in Greek. This is that word that means to change your mind. Because of a lack of repentance, that which was held in abundance, that which was designed to be blessing, that which was designed to define him was not his because there was in him, in them, in this situation, no place found for repentance. What was forfeited because of this? All that he had been promised, all that he had been given, all that God could provide, all that he could hope for, all that he dreamed of, all of that was lost because there was no place for repentance. What difference does this make? Because of the hardness of our hearts, because of the determination for one reason or the other, and and, and sometimes it bewilders me, for one reason or the other, we grow very determined to hang on to an old mindset, to hang on to old thoughts, old bitterness, old anger, old situations that have shaped something in our heart, shaped something in our mind, childhoods that were broken, parents that were just, did their best but left many scars on little bitty hearts. And now these broken hearts have grown up to be men and women, still shaping what's happening, still shaping what's going on. And I want to tell you, when God creates these moments, when we can actually come to these moments, understand this and change our mind to where we no longer trust those things that the world says we're supposed to trust, that my history says I'm supposed to trust, that my grandparents told me were valuable, to leave those things, come across the page, understand what it means to repent and see those things as God sees them. What is lost for us if we don't do it? What's lost for us if there is no place in us for repentance? What's lost? What did he lose? All that God had promised him. I want this to connect. Do you get it? If I believe only those things that God would tell me about me, I will believe all things are possible. If I go for an interview and they say, what can you do? I say, well, all things are possible. Because I began to believe out of those things that God has told me and I begin to express that. I want to tell you when that begins to be the reality, it will open doors for us into things that we would have never imagined because we go into those with hesitation, recognizing our limitations. That's what we speak because that's what we believe and we cut ourselves off from the blessings and the abundance that God has in store for us. The fullness of what God intended requires that we see the world and believe about him, those things that he would tell us about himself and everything that we refuse to change, when we refuse to change our mind, we're saying I will live unto the limited reality instead of the fullness of God. We cut ourselves off. If there is no place in us for repentance, we cut us off 
from what God has already given us. We cut ourselves off from everything that God could provide. We cut ourselves off for things that we hoped for, dreamed of. We cut ourselves off. If when God looks, he finds this same statement, there's no room for repentance. We may think today that we don't need much more. We may think the dream has already come, that God has has fully provided. I want to tell you, if there's any measure in us that says, I refuse to change my mind and see me and see God to see you as God sees you, I will, by the very nature of that decision, cause a limitation to be placed on my heart to receive the fullness of all that God intended. Watch it happen every single day that we live in almost a self-imposed spiritual poverty because we either don't see ourselves as worthy, we see ourselves as too broken, we see ourselves as too guilty, we see ourselves wrapped up in too much sin, we see ourselves with all the limitations and because of those things, we say, surely God can't intend that for me. Surely God wouldn't do that for me. I wanna tell you this morning, if you don't see yourself forgiven completely, whole, as God has established you, then you're seeing yourself with a limitation that God does not see. He sees you in the fullness of who you are and simply asking you to believe him instead of believing the world and the history that each of us have given. Find in ourselves the place for forgiveness. Find in ourselves the place for reconciliation. Find in ourselves the place for repentance. Change our mind and see the abundance of God. See the provision of God. We're trapped, most of us, many of us, in the limitations of our life. I spoke this morning of a book by Watchman Nee, The Breaking of the Outer Man. Most believers today sit under some type of a shell of the outer man. That's my mind and my emotions and my physical body. My inner man, my spirit man is, is, is desiring to speak. My outer man says no, you'll embarrass yourself. My inner man wants to worship and the outer man says, no, you'll make a fool of yourself. My inner man wants to speak goodness to somebody else and my outer man says they won't receive it. Until that outer man is broken like the alabaster box and immediately when it was broken, the fragrance that was inside it could not be contained anymore. We're all sitting here in some measure trying to protect ourselves from embarrassment or humiliation because that's what the outer man tells us. Be proud, be stoic. Don't let that change. Until we repent, the outer man wins. And the inner man, that spirit man that's crying to get out, will live in this faint desperation, wait for the day when the outer man will be broken. Change our mind. Let there be a place for repentance. And let the inner man begin to express and watch what God does. Lord, we thank you this morning for this simple word of repentance that we can understand as it was written here for Esau, He was seeking a change of mind and couldn't find it. Even though he was coming in tears, seeking it, he found no place for repentance. Lord, help us to understand. Help us to know. If it's stubbornness, it's stubbornness. If it's pride, it's pride. Arrogance, it's arrogance. I know those well. I know all three of them very well. I pray, Lord, this morning that this would be a breaking away day a breaking of the outer man so that the inner man can live so that we don't cut ourselves off from the abundance that you have in store for us. I pray, Lord, in these next few minutes that you would just 
like a laser with a light. Shine it on each individual heart and show us if there are places where we need to change our mind. Paul did. It drastically changed his life. And the blessing became full to him. He thought he had it as a Pharisee. He could not have imagined what happened when he changed his mind and became a Christian, became a believer at the fullness of the blessing that would come his way. Lord, let us see this example. Let us feel its witness. I pray, Lord, that you would, with that light, shine so that we could also find a place for repentance. We do that, Lord, this morning, asking you to do what only you can do. And we ask it in Jesus' name. When Rhea and Amanda were here, they were prophesying over different families and individuals. Uh, one of the things that she prophesied over Brian and I was that, that God was giving us, each of us, a razor like fire, and she placed it in both of our hands to cut off those things from people that were not, that didn't come from the source, that didn't come from God Himself. And she said that when people speak it with that razor of fire, you will cut it off of people. And God is saying with this message of changing your source, changing your mind, there are things that need to be cut off. There are things, there are lies that you believe about yourself that need to be cut off. And as I was sitting and writing during the sermon, the question that came, and it's, it's been put before so many times, but what do you believe about yourself? And the picture that God gave me was me standing before, before a crowd and saying, what do you believe about yourself? And in boldness, what lie do you believe about yourself? Confessing that out loud. Confessing that out loud. What lie is it that always that you say, no, not me? Why, why do you say that? What lie do you believe about yourself? And right now, God's saying, let the outer man break away. Say the thing. Say the thing that you, the lie that you believe about yourself. And right now, with this razor of fire, God wants to cut it off from you forever. In this moment, he's saying, this is for you. He doesn't, he's not saying this is quiet. He's not saying, oh, just you know, I'll just do it spiritually. He's saying, confess it before men. Confess it right now, out loud. And with this razor of fire, he will cut it away from you forever. Not like tearing strips of paper that can then be taped back together. You go, see, this is it. This is that thing about me that's true. No, a razor of fire so that it's burned away completely. He's saying right now, this is the moment for you to say that thing out loud, out loud that you believe about yourself that God has never once spoken about you. What is it that for some reason you cling to with such pride and this is me? What is it? I come across so many students and I tell them the truth about themselves and they say, no, no, no. And I said, I just immediately I stop them and I say, and, and Ryan has done the same thing with our friends to say, no, I am speaking truth over you and you're combating it with a lie. And right now the picture so clear was me standing before a crowd and out loud you saying the thing, not to yourself, saying the lie, confessing it before men. What is it? And God saying right now with this razor of fire, I'm cutting it away. So this moment's for you, it's not for me. I have no message 
to bring other than that in an obedience saying, yes, this razor of fire has been placed in my hand right now to cut it away from you. God wants to burn it away from you so that the blessing can be received. This isn't easy. This is the breaking of the outer man. If you're saying something about yourself that is untrue, I want you to, I, I don't want you to speak it yet. I want you to raise your hand. The hard part, Lo lower your hand when you speak it out loud. So, turn to someone, turn to someone near you. Come tell me, but speak those words out loud, what the lie is. And, and when you do that, put your hand down, but it needs to come out of your mouth out loud. And turn to someone if they're waiting to say it out loud or go to someone and tell someone if you're ready for it to be removed from you. We hold a lot of things. We think a lot of things are secret. And we hold on to it, but God's saying it's not I, secret. I pray, I pray that the Lord would just shine that light deep in you because there are deep secret places. <clears throat> David sh showed me a book the other day. The name of the book was When Men Think Private Thoughts. Things that are happening way down in the story not dealt with, just pushed way down in the story. And God's saying, speak them, speak them out and, and let them, let them go. Speak those deep things that you're holding on to right now. If you're inhibited, if you're intimidated, if you live in fear, if you're frustrated, there's a lie there. And I want to pray over each of you who spoke something out loud. God, we come to you and I want to let you speak to each one, God, who, who confessed the lie that they believe about themselves. God, that you right now in this moment with your, with the fire, God, that's so pure that you would cut that lie off from them, from their body, God, from around their neck. God, just the thing that weighs them down, that lie that they carry, God, you right now with your, with your razor of fire, you're cutting it off from this individual, God, so that they can step into fullness, step into blessing, step into a changed mind, God, believing only those things that come from you. And God, I pray that right now over each one that confessed that lie, God, that you would begin, that they would let you speak and you would fill that space, God. You would fill that void with truth, with only truth, God. And that this moment would be seared would be seared on their minds and seared on their hearts, God, so that it would be a moment to combat, combat future moments with God, that they could look back and say, no, I remember that that part has been burned off of me, that that lie has been seared, that it's been burned away, God, and that you begin to speak a new thing, that you begin, that they begin to listen to the word that you speak over them, the word that you speak, the identity that you speak, and only claim those things, only hold that in their hand, God, hold that in their heart, hold that in their mind, but that this releasing and not in this lie being cut off, God, that it would be replaced with truth, and God, that this, that searing, God, the searing off of that lie, that it would be, it would be there, and even that smell would be a remembrance, God, that you've taken care of it completely, that it is, that it, that lie is gone, they don't have a, they can't stand on that any longer as a defense or stand on it any longer as identity or stand on it any longer as reason not to do not to go not to be not to serve not to love not to whatever god you've you've called them to whatever blessing you've called them to step into that that smell of of smoke that burning would be in their noses would be in their hearts and in their minds god so that it would no longer be an excuse as to why they can't but a new word, a truth that you speak over them would, would bring a yes every time, God, into, into what you've called and what you've said. 
And even there might be hesitation, God, but you push us, God. You push us into it because you know what's waiting. You know what you have in store. God, I thank you for what you've done. I thank you for the lie that's been burned away. I, I know that you, you've, you've asked that it be spoken out loud so that it wouldn't be secret, God. And we thank you for it. We love you and we thank you for the new life that you've, you've created for us in you, God. Lord, we come to this conclusion, this service, but it just absolutely doesn't feel like it's over. Many things, Lord, still unconfessed many lies still held on to and many lies still believed. And we have such a trouble with them because we have believed them for so long we can't even imagine ourselves without them. We don't even recognize them as lies anymore. We've just accepted that that's the way we are. Well, I pray, Lord, over the next few days and the next few weeks that that light will shine so brightly. And as Kate has described, that light will come with such a, with, with such a reality and that sharpness of that fire, Lord, that would just come and carve away what we discover about ourselves that was so deeply hidden, that this moment is not over. We recognize, Lord, there's so much brokenness. We've been hurt by people who have walked away from us. Mentally and emotionally, we've been hurt by it. We can't let it go. And you're telling us this morning, Lord, if they're going to walk away from you, they don't see what God sees. If they're going to walk away from you, let them go. Because they need to see what God sees. When they walk away, when they've walked away from us, it leaves deep scars because we wonder what happened? What did we do wrong? We begin to believe lies about ourselves because someone has treated us in some way, done something, said something, and it leaves a lie. I pray, Lord, that those would be exposed. You don't have any desire that we live under those lies anymore. You died that we might be free. With those things cut away. Let anything, Lord, any message that anyone in our families have left us of our shame or our grief, our regret, our blame, let it be carved away. Let the brokenness find no place in the hearts that are repentant. Let us see what only you see. Let the healing continue. Even as we leave, let the healing continue. In Jesus' name, amen.